three, episode 12, a uh, bit of a change of pace, recording on Tuesday night, no Fonzie, no Brad, it's uh, Will Evans here with Michael Burgess from the New Zealand Herald. How are you Mike? Uh, it's been a wee while since we've had you on the pod, I think the last time was actually uh, after Sean Johnson kicked that golden point field goal against the Cowboys last year, so plenty's changed in the year since mate. Oh yes, yes. Um... I remember that now because, um, well, because things were looking so rosy at that stage uh, and we were all wondering, gee, what is 2022 going to bring? In the end, it didn't bring much. But no, um, great to be back on the pod, mate, and um, great to be, you know, on the pod at this time where there's so many um, positive themes because quite often I've been a guest on your show when there's been a... um, a big drama or a coach leaving or or some other thing happening off the field or on the field so yeah it's uh it's certainly a nice change yeah uh i think that the other times we've had you was uh, after stephen kearney's axing uh, <laughs> after after roger tuivasashek uh, signed with the all blacks <laughs> and then yeah johnson's uh golden point field goal i think that gave us three straight wins and that was about as good as the season got um i think we'd said at the time we we're just so happy Sean, as as sort of fans of of his, um, had had that moment in his return, um, it kind of like get the monkey off the back, so to speak. Um, but it really didn't go that well for well for Sean and the club for the rest of the year. But here we are, seven rounds into twenty twenty three. Sean Johnson is three points off the Dallium lead, and the Warriors are five and two with a new coach and absolutely flying third on the ladder. So. Doesn't take long for things to turn around, but I don't think. Um, I'm guessing you didn't uh, expect us to be in this position that we are now. No, no, that's the thing. Well, I mean, it's incredible when you reel off all those things you just did because it really brings home what has changed. I mean, I think all of us, you know, all the all the listeners, everyone who follows rugby league, expected some kind of change under Andrew Webster, and I think you know those of us like me who are lucky to see sort of a some glimpse behind the curtain, we knew there'd be a bit of a a bit of a transformation because because we'd seen some good things in preseason. But seriously, I don't think anyone, anyone, even people at the club, I'm not sure, but I don't think anyone expected the uh, transformation to be so rapid and, and to be so wide ranging because it has been it has been crazy. If you think about where they were last season. You know, I was at that Titans game at Mount Smart. I'm sure you remember it well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was 14 points up with seven minutes to go. Yeah. Uh, and the Titans come back and um, you just think, oh, things, you know, this has reached an absolute low given all the other shit that went on last season on and off the field. Um, so to be where the club is now, of course, they're at home and that that has made a big difference and probably a bigger difference than we all anticipated. But still, <laughs> I don't think anyone saw this coming, mate. Yeah, so then when we had the chance to talk to Andrew Webster for an hour or so before Christmas, we were all totally smitten with him but and knew that, it, well, we were confident he was the right guy to sort of rebuild the club. But, yeah, certainly didn't expect to be, um, expect it to be so rapid and so, as you said, wide-ranging. Um, now it feels like, you know, the finals is, is the minimum aim. Um, <laughs> it's crazy to think this early into the season, but um, I mean, how good is it? It's, you know, the, the fans are, everyone's behind us. The Aussie media are taking notice. 
Um, and it's the feel feel good story of the year, even edging ahead of the Dolphins, I think, um, at this stage. In, it in, probably in, is. I mean, the Dolphins were, were incredible the way they started, but uh, I think, yeah, the pictures of the crowd at Mount Smart for the Cowboys game. I mean, just being there and, and, and you know, I'm walking in. I was running a bit late, actually. I had a f- other few things on. And just the queues, you know, the queues to get into Mount Smart were massive. Haven't seen that for ages. And then after the game, rushing down to, to Andrew Webster's press conference and just seeing all the fans streaming out and just hearing all the, um, I don't know, all the, uh, you could hear the joy, you know, you could sense the joy, the happiness, uh, the pride. Um, and all those fans will be coming back to the next game. That'll be, they'll be there for the Roosters game and they'll be telling their friends to come too. So this, this thing is just, is just going to build. Um, and I think maybe it is such a feel-good story because of where the club was, uh, because of where the team was, because they reached lows that, I mean, you know the history better than most will, but um, the lows of last season, there weren't too many other seasons that were much lower on or off the field. So to be that far down and now to bounce back up, and I guess that's the biggest surprise because you're exactly right. Webster made a good impression on everyone. And it's good to hear that you guys, you know, really enjoyed having him on the pod and I'm sure he came across really well. But I guess the concern for most people was the club was starting from such a low point. You know, it was, it was at such a low point that even if he initiated improvement, um, you know, how far could they jump? Because there were so many teams way ahead of them that were going to improve as well. Uh, but somehow th- they've jumped a long, long way. Yes, uh, it is quite incredible. And I just wanted to take you back to, to 2018 and, and just sort of uh, gauge for you whether it sort of feels the same around the club and and, and particularly around Mount Smart. I was, I was there with you in the uh, press box for the double header uh, round five 2018 and the Warriors went 5-0 and with a win, ironically, over the Cowboys. And I just, I'd obviously only been in the press box half a dozen times, but you guys uh, that live up in Auckland sort of trudge there every, every <laughs> uh, second Saturday. You've had to endure some um, some pretty some pretty uh, disastrous seasons, trying to find a new spin on on how to sum it up. Really, you know, when you're losing sort of seven eight last games of the season and you have to see it through to the end of the year. I just remember looking around the press box at, at you guys, you veterans, um, and just the the air of well, there was an air of happiness around the press box, and you know, just excitement and electricity. Obviously, that was uh, kind of coming off from the crowd as well. But um, you know, has it, has it been like that for you uh, working in jobs, especially coming off COVID, where you've hardly had the chance to go to many games at all, and you know, for the for the rest of you guys that. They've been in the trenches for a long time and, and coming off this um, disruptive few years. Yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, the, I remember that doubleheader. That was um, that was also the night when the Tigers beat the Storm, didn't they? Is that the yeah, one? Benji, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, yeah. Nine, yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was that was quite something. Um, I think Webster was in the uh, was coaching the Tigers at that time because he talked. It would have been about that with us about talked oh, okay. about it with me about how that's, that was sort of a reminder to him of how special uh, Mount Smart can be. But, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, um, like, the parallel I give is last season, you know, we had these homecoming games, but um, and they were nice occasions. But the season was already over, and the crowd was coming along just 
it was an emotional, nice occasion. The crowd came along sort of uh, because they hadn't seen the team for a long time and out of a bit of a sense of duty. Um, but it was quite a weird feeling because, you know, there was nothing at stake. The season had been such a mess. And, and of course, they, they lost a couple of those, those games as well. But to go along on Saturday night and to see a team that is uh, so resilient, but also just got so much belief, you know, um, there hasn't been too many Warriors teams that could, that could play that sloppy in possession and but still find a way to win uh people have said oh the cowboys they're not going that well okay they're not but they're still a very good team and they still i thought they played quite well on a saturday night the way they were um the way they kept uh getting repeat sets the way you know they were against other teams they would have scored tries and it's a different result so it's just it's quite an incredible feeling it's i'm sure it must be strange times for the fans out there watching this team and I think it's definitely strange times for the media you know we we go along every week and we talk to Andrew Webster and the players and um there's really something different in the air and uh it's 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 amazing it's fantastic uh but it's just so remarkably different from most other seasons and and it's hard to it's hard to know where it's come from really uh because you know, we've had we've got so used to the Warriors having so many issues, and now that a lot of those issues have been straightened out, um, suddenly it doesn't seem that difficult. You know, they've got they've got the right guy as in charge as coach, and, and I guess the best barometer is that suddenly just about every player is playing better than they were last season. You know, he, he seems to have improved every player. Yeah, it's uh, without exception, really, um, which is amazing. I've got a theory that if we had a better team on paper that would be confident about you know being an actual premiership contender this year, not saying that we won't at some point this year if we carry on this way, but it just seems unbelievable that the squad, which is you know not the squad that sort of Webster um put together or anything and definitely seemed light in several areas um a lot of journeymen a lot of sort of um you know make or break type recruits but everyone's been unbelievable uh, the recruits particularly have been spectacular but yeah as you said the guys that, that remain that went through some pretty uh tough times especially last season you wouldn't think there's too many that were happy with how they went in 2022 um improved out of sight and um yeah, just absolutely killing it. Well, I think um, someone like Bailey Sirinan is always a good example because the past two seasons, most people are thinking, oh, you know, he's a really nice guy, but but he hasn't really done much, doesn't seem to do much most weeks. So, you know, um, do they really want to re-sign him? You know, what's going on? But you look at him this year and you're like, actually, he, he's he's playing well. He's really bringing something every time he comes on the field. And that that's just a, a little example, but... Yeah, your point about the recruits, I can't remember a Warriors squad, and they've had some good recruits over the years, but I can't remember a Warriors squad um, where every recruit has performed from day one and and also fitted in off the field, you know? And, and I, think, I think one of the reasons could be, if you look at the recruits, there is a common theme, and that common theme to me is that they're all uh, really hungry for... For, for different reasons, but they're all got that 
essential hunger. If you look at like the journeyman you mentioned, there's a couple of them. And then you look at uh, someone like Mitch Barnett, who, who told us a few weeks ago that he you know, really wanted to get out of his comfort zone. And that's why he came here. Um, you look at Dylan Walker, you know, he, he was someone that Manly didn't really want. He had some issues in Australia. Uh, he's come here and just completely revitalised. Um, Tamari wanted to come home and there was doubts over whether he would be able to play, you know, at the top level again or for how long. Um, so there's just, and Chance is probably the best one uh, because he was a guy that I think a lot of people, including some people who listen to the show, would would have been writing off and saying, oh, why, why are they signing him? Because he didn't have a great season last year, struggled with injury. He was playing reserve grade yeah. at 27. You know, why, why are they signing him? Um, and he's been a revelation. He's brought everything that you would have hoped he would bring. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite remarkable because that's down to their hunger, but it's also down to Webster and the coaching staff um, getting them all to gel, which, you know, that ain't easy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Marata Nukore was probably the only, you know, signing that seemed like a slam dunk on paper. Um, the others were all a little bit, you know, iffy. Um, you know, hopeful that they would mm. work out mm. the level, but, you know, produce some of the best footy of their career. Jackson Ford is, uh, is playing out of his skin. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think the thing that, one of the things that has impressed me, and I've just looked at it a bit more closely today, the cohesion that they've had and the, the particularly the way they've held their defence together through the season with uh, all the changes they've had to make week to week has been quite amazing. They've only had the same 17 in rounds one and two, um, for the next round, they had four changes. After that, three changes, three changes, um, two changes. Um, and then for the weekend, just being four changes um, and all key guys out. I think we've only, we haven't had the same spine in consecutive weeks since round two. Um, and yeah, haven't had a full strength pack available at all. Jazz was out for the first two rounds and forward in round three, Barnett since round four. Also missed uh, Marata for a couple of weeks as well. So all of that considered, um, it's been pretty phenomenal. Uh, just, you know, guys stepping in and, and re not really skipping a beat. It has, and I think that's another strength of Webster. I mean, I guess one thing you've got to be careful with is that he's been winning a lot of games, so it, it does mean he's under less pressure than a coach who's losing games. But yeah. the point I'd make about him is that um, he's he's never mentioned the injuries, you know. It's always us. It's always the journalist mentioning it. He doesn't really mention it at all. Um, he just he just sort of you know shrugs it off. Like he said last week, he was gutted about Tamari being out, but he's out, so we have to move on. Um, whereas in contrast, I remember Nathan Brown would constantly say, just about you know every week, every second week, he'd talk about how. You know, the blokes that are out, we've got a lot of blokes out, a lot of young players playing. Yeah. And he'd always say it's no excuse, but but it does make it hard or it is a reason. And I think subtly that sort of thing can can get into players' minds. Um, even Stephen Kearney didn't probably mention it as much as Nathan, but he would also probably allude to it. Uh, but so far, you know, Andrew Webster has got his messaging just right. Certainly his, um, I think a real strength of his is his messaging, um, his public messaging, what he says to the media, what he says to fans, uh, and obviously the way he talks to the squad. Lucky enough to spend a day with him uh, in about in December, wasn't it? And um, yeah, he's just, he's just very clear. 
but also very honest. Um, and I think, you know, everyone is responding to that. I've heard that fans are even enjoying listening to his, his press conferences, you know, which is, uh, okay, when they're winning, it's yeah. fun to listen to. But I think everyone just appreciates the fact that um, most of the time he, he's, he's pretty straight up, he's pretty honest, hard on his sleeve, um, but doesn't get doesn't get carried away. I guess the pressure will come a bit later in the season when he's got there might be a, a run of defeats. Also, there'd be times later in the season when he's got to make some uh, some recruitment calls. Not that many this season actually, because not many people off contract. But there'll be some some tricky times to come. But you know, he's only coached uh, what is it now? Uh, nine games, nine games of first grade. You know, was it two at the Tigers or three? Yeah, and two seven at the Tigers. Yeah. So yeah, he's coached nine games of first grade. I mean, come on, that's he is a he is as rookie as you get in terms of uh, head coach experience. Um, so it just makes it even more more crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, the thing that struck me probably the first difference I noticed was um, you know he wasn't tempering expectations. It's the first thing that Nathan Brown did when his first interview after getting the gig was say, oh, we've got a long way to go, a lot of, you know, rebuilding to do. And this was when uh, flying under Todd Payton. We're like, well, is there really that much of a, a rebuild needed? And that's what put me off Nathan Brown from the start. Andrew Webbs has been the opposite from day one. And I'm sure there's a hundred other more important reasons why he's a, a better coach for us than Nathan Brown. But, um, you know, I'm sure that that plays into it and that sort of confidence or, um, you know, optimism um, rubs off on the players. Um, I just want to ask you, uh, you've you've dealt with a lot of Warriors coaches. Um, I'm not sure if you go as far back as Tony Kemp, but I know you had a lot of <laughs> Ivan, Ivan Cleary, uh, Matt Elliott, um, who we've talked a lot about, <laughs> either um, and Andrew McFadden and uh, and Stephen Cooney, obviously, and a bit with Nathan Brown, although you, um, they were stationed in Australia, so probably didn't deal with them as closely as the others, but you know, how does he compare overall? He just seems so genuine, so ridiculously passionate. I don't know if he can um, he can maintain this sort of level. Like every press conference, every um, you know, every uh, sort of media pack. I, I heard uh, heard the audio for last week's one, and he talked for twenty minutes to you guys, and you know, he, he sounded like he could have talked to you for an hour. He, um, you know, he's not uh, just trying to give you cookie cutter answers. It all seems, you know, very genuine, and um, he's just so enthusiastic. Yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing to deal with. I mean, um, who else is on? I think Brian McLennan on that list as well. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, um, he, he's right up there. I mean, uh, Ivan Cleary was fantastic to deal with. Um, generally, some people found him, you know, boring, and I oh, didn't say didn't say much, but. If you spoke to him one on one, he was he was you know quite quite funny and good to deal with, um, but he was quite reserved, Cleary as well, um, because he you know he had a probably a quite a tough road into coaching etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but no Webster at the moment he just shines like a beacon. Um, uh, you know Stephen Kearney was was pretty cautious the whole time at the Warriors because of his Parramatta experience, I think. Um, Matt Elliott was uh, uh, it was uh, very left field the whole time, and Nathan Brown, you know, he could he could talk a lot, but he sort of 
went off on all kinds of um, tangents and you never really understood what. But Webster, as you say, so enthusiastic, um, so passionate, so clear with the message he wants to get across. I guess the challenge for him, Will, as you sort of alluded to in your question, is how long he can keep this going because, you know, the good side of being a rookie, rookie coach is that it's all new. And so it is all new and, and the team's flying and it's all going great. Um, but, but, you know, I guess after a certain period of time, maybe uh, it, it, it gets harder, it gets more tiring, and, and he might change a little bit. But, but at the moment, he just seems like um, such a genuine guy. And I remember speaking to him in his first interview when he was explaining to us why he wanted to come to the Warriors. And he was saying, you know, a lot of people in Australia would think, oh, why would you ever go to the Warriors? You know, why would you want to go there? Uh, it's a basket case of a club. Um, was sort of what he was saying. Uh, but he said, you know, if you've been at the club, which he'd been there for two seasons, of course, under McFadden, um, if you've been at the club and you know the potential, you know what what it's like when Mount Spartan's rocking and you know the kind of players they have and you know what success would do for the sport in New Zealand, all those things, he said, then, then you know, why wouldn't you want to go there? It's got unbelievable potential. And he was saying this to us, to me in August last year, and that was all pretty hard to believe. Um, but you know, uh, now it, it's <laughs> it's, yeah. it's certainly you know it feels like he had a crystal ball. Yeah. So um, Andrew McFadden would be the other one to mention. He was always great to deal with. He was great to deal with, and I was I always think he was. Um, he, I thought he was a great coach actually, and and you know, without labouring the point, I think if Sean Johnson does get doesn't get injured in two thousand fifteen. They make the finals. Um, probably should have made the finals in fourteen as well, but we won't get into that now. But um, Tim McFadden was great and a good communicator too, but he just had you know so much pressure on his shoulders. But Webster, yeah, he's um, he certainly seems like a bit of a special one at the moment. It's uh, it's it's a nice uh, little kicker as well to to see Cappy um along for this ride as well I, I always felt like he was the unluckiest warriors coach as you sort of touched on a couple of those things there he said rogers um acl in 2016 after six or seven games that's right um, yep. you know things could have been so different for him at the club um and he was you know obviously assistant in our last successful season in 2018 so it's, it's nice to see him back and part of this and he's obviously close to to webster um from being his assistant uh, as uh webster being McFadden's assistant so um, it's great to see him back around the club I, I did want to touch on two guys that I'm sure you've had a lot to deal with over the, the last decade or so uh, Stacey Jones and Justin Morgan and you've done a bit of radio work with with Justin as well mm. and they come they they've come up in for a lot of uh, stick from from uh, sections of the fan base for sure about you know why wouldn't you just clean out the these guys have been on the staff and we've had no success. You know, what are they still doing there? Particularly Morgan comes in for a lot of, because he doesn't have that club legend status that Stacey yes. does. Yes. Um, have you sort of chatted to them much during this resurgence and, you know, got a sense of how happy they are to be working with Webster and, and be part of, of what's going on now? It is quite amazing. You, you mentioned Morgan because he, um, you know, he was at the club quite a long time ago. And then from memory, he got, he was assistant for a while and then he got sacked um, or, you know, they went another direction. And I think Cameron George brought him back as, as an assistant when Cameron George became CEO. So he's been around a long time. 
And of course, he was the defense coach last year. So, you know, that was a hard job to have considering how well the defense was going. Yeah. And Stacey had to go through, but, you know, the trauma of being um, head coach with a team that was all over the place. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk with them too much. Uh, one thing Webster does do, has done, sorry, is he runs a pretty tight ship. Um, so the media aren't really allowed to, don't really attend training anymore. We, we can attend the first 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then we have to go in the past, the TV cameras would be on 15 minutes and then, but the print journals could usually stay around for a bit longer, but that doesn't happen. And the interviews used to be at the end of training and you might have a quick chat to an assistant coach or someone at that time, but the interviews are now um, uh, away from the training field and all that. And I, to be honest, I've got no problem with that. It's something that I'm guessing Andrew's brought in or someone's brought in. And if that's if that means there's more structure to the day and it's working for them, which it is, then I'm fine with it. Um, but yeah, I did catch up with both of them in the preseason. Um, and I, what came across to me was just um, what they were enjoying was uh, how structured things were under Andrew Webster, not structured in an over-the-top kind of way, but you know the, the level of planning now. Uh, they they they're sitting around at seven thirty in the morning, uh, discussing the training sessions coming up. But they've already discussed it the night before as well. Um, but they go through it again, and then there's a team meeting. And in that team meeting, uh, they'll be discussing with the players um, what's happening in the training. So once they're out in the training field, uh, there's no time wasted. And basically, the end result is there's better trainings. The, what they're getting out of training is much better. Um, so, yeah, he's just he's just uh, he's probably brought it in from from Penrith, I imagine, because uh, Penrith, of course, have got a pretty amazing operation. So, I think Justin and Stacey are enjoying being able to probably do the jobs to the best of their ability. Um, and obviously, you know, it's been a change of environment, and uh, that they maybe they were feeling lucky to still be in their roles, um, which is another clever thing that Webster did, didn't he? He sort of allowed some continuity and then brought in Richard Agar as well as a new voice. And so far it's working because, you know, they've got a lot of coaches, um, but the mix so far is working. And I think because Andrew Webster was smart enough to know that, hey, I'm new to all this, so I'm going to need help and I need some guys who, who know the players, know the landscape. Um, and, and so far, it seems like a really good decision. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that. It, you know, you kind of uh, listen to Webster's um, interviews and everything. You kind of assume his biggest strength is motivation and and just you know being so passionate. And I'm, I'm sure that is his strength. But um, it sounds like there's a, a a big jump up in professionalism as well, despite being a, a total NRL rookie as a head coach. It certainly seems, I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to make cast too many judgments in the last three years because, as you say, well, we went over there. We didn't, you know, I went to Australia a couple of times to see some games and see a training session, and they're all, they were doing their best in, in bloody ridiculous circumstances. It really was crazy. It's like, you know, it's like um, the Melbourne Storm relocating to Dunedin for two years. You know, it was just, it was just absolutely crazy what they had to endure. Um, but it does seem like it's a pretty slick operation now, just the way they do everything. Um, 
another little example I saw during the preseason was, um, you know, Andrew Webster's really, um, really strong on um, all the all the preparation, all the strapping, all the other things that players might have to do is all got to be done in the gym. Everyone's got to be ready to go, and then they walk out to the field and it's on. There's no, you know, or someone's waiting around to to strap his ankle or to do something else or to get the GPS on or whatever. It's all, you know, so just little things like that. You think, okay, um, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's sending a message that when we step on the training field, uh, we are, we're ready to go, we're focused, and we're going to get the most out of this. And so, you know, I think all these little things um, add up and they add up to what we're seeing. It's not, not necessarily just as being this, you know, crazy, crazy stuff happening behind the scenes, or it's it's all just these little, little things that have added up to, to a really, yeah. really impressive uh, end result. Uh, one of the things that maybe some of us and uh, we talked about this a bit last year on the pod. Um, you know, there's sort of rumours of some rifts and that sort of thing, and they just didn't seem a, a happy team. Obviously, being back home has been an enormous. Uh, help in changing that but um, it's obviously the the new regime as well um, you know been around the squad in the preseason um, in your role and you know after games and and, and your sort of midweek uh, media uh, conferences and that sort of thing have you sort of noticed that they are happier than even you know teams from down the years they seem more united or you've talked about how hungry they seem um, does there seem a bit more of an edge to this team than than Warriors teams past? Yeah, that'd be accurate. I mean, the, the 2018 group was was pretty united, uh, I, I guess, but, but this team just seems to be, there doesn't seem at the moment to be um, any cliques. You know how cliques always develop in sports teams, but it doesn't seem to be there uh, so far with this team. There's a real sense, you know, without going into cliches, that everyone is is rowing in the in the same direction. I mean, the interesting test will be later in the season when there'll be a whole lot of players that think they've proven themselves and they'll be thinking, why am I getting a game? Why is this guy starting ahead of me? You know, and that's when there's some tensions that arise. But no, uh, a very united bunch. And you're, I think you said in the question about how happy they are. I think that's, that, that's you know, you can't underestimate that. You know, they look really happy in the training. And they look pretty happy on the field, you know. And even on Saturday night, when there were a, a gazillion mistakes, um, they regrouped really quickly, you know, straight away. Okay, mistake made, right, refocus. No one was sort of getting on anyone anyone's case. And um, as I say, it always helps when you're winning, and they had a great start, so that's that's for sure. Um, but yeah, they definitely um, they definitely got what every team tries to get, and that that is they just. They just look like a real team. And um, I've seen so many Warriors teams where you couldn't say that. Yeah. Um, and we have to talk about Sean Johnson. I mean, you've probably talked to him more than any journalist um, has in his career. Uh, he's playing incredible. Um, I don't think even as uh, as some of his biggest uh, supporters, you, you or I would have thought we could see this level high level of performance at, at this sort of consistency, um, particularly now at the stage of his career. Um, I mean, what is it? What's your take on 
on how it's happened, why it's happened, and you know the the sort of level he can maintain for for the rest of the year. I mean, you know, he's, he's been in the top. What the Dally M uh, board says he's in the top five players in the competition at the moment. Um, as unbiased as I can be, which isn't particularly <laughs> Sean Johnson, but I'd say you know he has he has been one of the stories of the year individually. Um, how well he's gone, he is just absolutely nailing it. Oh, it's been it's been quite remarkable. I mean, you we mentioned at the start last time I was on was the Cowboys game where you kicked the the Golden Point winner, um, and you had a couple other decent games in those early wins last season. He, and as you said, we were happy for him because he sort of um, got a chance to come back for a new chapter and and had some success. And then there was the um, uh, one of the homecoming games, I think it was against the Bulldogs, where he got that, yeah. that solo try last year. And that was nice celebrating in front of the fans. But he did have a poor season last year, and he's pretty honest about that um, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and you wondered how much more he had left, especially when you looked at him last season. So, you know, to look at him now and think, geez, um, this isn't just 2018 Sean Johnson. This is a, a Sean Johnson we've never seen before um, because he's still got some of the, you know, he's still got some of the magic. He's still, you know, one of the most dangerous players in the comp 20 metres out from the line. He's still the guy that can break the line, that can step. Um but it's all the other things he's doing, you know, the um, the defence. I mean, Andrew Webster. That, that's been the standout for me is, is his defence. It's been, and I've always thought he's a bit underrated in that department. I don't think he's a poor, has been a poor defensive halfback, but he's just not missing any tackles. And he's coming up with some amazing one-on-one stops on big back rows regularly, multiple times a game. I think the standout moment for me one of them this season has been a lot, but it was the Newcastle game with about, was it 15 minutes to go before Marcelo Montoya's uh, drop and the Warriors are coming right back into it. And he did a did a kick, really good kick, and he led the chase yeah. and nailed the fullback. And he was so, you know, up for it, trying to get them back into the game. And that's something that, you know, it's it's not necessarily his job. It's not something he's always done. Um, but yeah, his defence... Um, the way he's reading the game, uh, his ability to keep coming up with 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 big plays, his kicking game, especially considering um, he's doing almost all of the kicking. I mean, I asked Andrew Webster last week. I said, you know, um, with Wade Egan out, with Tomate out, uh, there's no real kicks left in your spine, you know. But he wasn't concerned. He said, "Oh well, Sean's going to do 90 percent of our kicking, and that's that's the way it is." Yeah, he um, said he doesn't care that the you know the other no, yeah the exactly other teams not so. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think. Um, but if you if you want to wonder why this has happened, I mean, there's a there's a few. Um, there's one simple reason, and then there's a few complex reasons. So to me, the simple reason, and the thing that that Sean has suffered with his whole career, uh, is that he's hardly ever played behind a dominant pack. <laughs> so yeah. he played behind a dominant pack in two eleven, in two fifteen, I would argue, uh, and in two eighteen. And two sixteen a little bit, but but not really. So those three seasons, the Warriors also went really well, and so did he. All the other times, uh, he was in a pack that was either, um, you know, going backwards or or just just on par with other teams. So you know, he was always under pressure. Suddenly this season, he's I mean, the Warriors this forward pack when they get going, 
they're unbelievable, you know. So he's on the front foot, he's got space and time. And I think his critics never really, you know, I know he could be a bit flighty at times, so that was more ammunition, but his crit- critics never really understood that because, you know, Jonathan Thurston, Cooper Cronk, anyone doesn't look so great when the forward pack is going backwards. So that's the simple reason. But the complex ones, um, it's sort of a mix of the fact that, you know, he is he is so happy to be home. He is such a, he's so passionate about the Warriors. Uh, I think just from little things he said, you know, the fact that he's back at this club, but he's back at this club and he's part of this club, this version of this club that is going so well and he can see, holy shit, this, this team has got so much potential. That has just given him so much motivation. Um, he's back at home. You know, we know he missed his, his daughter and his, his wife so much last year. Uh, he feels like he's got something to prove as well because the Cronella, you know, the Cronella episodes didn't really go as well as he probably wanted them to. And then he came back to the Warriors and he's, you know, all that thing about why he left. Um, he knows there's not much time left in his career, so he's certainly out to out to make the most of it. And then the final and perhaps the most important piece of the puzzle is Andrew Webster. You know, he has um, he's he's borrowed from someone. Maybe uh, who would he borrowed it from? Maybe Ivan Cleary. He's borrowed the manual on how to get Sean Johnson playing well, uh, which Cleary sort of uh, took away in 2011 or oh, 18 as well. I guess that's a bit facetious, but he, he's just got Sean um, playing playing to his strengths, playing like he can. And uh, it's partly what, you know, in one of his, Andrew's first press conferences at pre-season, we asked him about Sean and he said, um, if Sean plays to his potential and if Sean plays like he's been training so far this preseason, he will be one of the best halfbacks in the NRL um, this season. If he doesn't, then, you know, we've got a lot of competition here, so we'll see what happens. But, but the way he's going so far, he's tracking to have a, really good season and I thought that was just a perfect answer because it wasn't hyping him up too much it was paying tribute to how well he trained um but yeah he's the coach has just got has just got um the absolute best out of him and and long may it continue I guess the second part of your question you know it will be hard to maintain these levels let's hope he stays fit he stays healthy but um He's just got so much confidence at the moment, and he's a confidence player. So, you know, I mean, the signs are pretty good, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, and he's still doing brilliant things. Obviously, that match-winning try against the Bulldogs was was pretty special, and he's he's laying on tries, but he's not sacrificed. But the the part of the you know the brilliance that we're used to, um, the flash, uh, is being sort of made up for by absolute consistency and in, in everything he does like he round one i thought you know it's still a little bit up and down obviously a tough uh tough day to be kicking in down in wellington there but but since then he's just about been flawless um he really couldn't fault sort of any area of his of his performance um as a halfback and he's he's really leading the team it's, it's um yeah it's like honestly i never thought we'd we would see this again. It's, you know, it was always a bit of a pipe dream just him coming back to the club. And then obviously last year didn't go as well as uh, we would have liked. Uh, it was very tough for me personally to to see and the amount mm. of criticism he was getting because mm. a lot of it was out of his control, the team that he was in, that sort of thing. But to, to see how well he's going is, um, is pretty heartwarming. And 
yeah, just uh, hopefully a great capper to a career for a club great. Um, do you have a sense that he will go around again or when that sort of, obviously that's going to start sort of popping up by mid-season? Um, we don't have an obvious number seven should he retire. Um, you know, do, do you think that's going to start becoming a big story, especially because he's going so well? Well, I'm sure it'll start bubbling away. I mean, we've seen this before with other with other players. Um, you know, I guess Simon Mannering was another example, wasn't it? There was a sort of protracted um, two or three months of talking about whether he would go around again, although you sort of sense that Simon did bow out at the right time. Um, it's definitely going to become a, a talking point and much more of a talking point that perhaps everyone, even you and I, would have predicted because... Um, when you saw him playing last year, thought, okay, that two-year contract made sense. You know, yeah. uh, you wouldn't want to sign a three-year. He's he's been around a long time. He's he's had a lot of seasons, and and this is you know coming to an end. But um, gee, the way he's playing now, I mean, I would hope that it's up to him. I would hope that the club don't. Um, don't sort of do what they did in 2018 and make a bit of a mess of it. And I'm sure they won't because they've got good people there. Um, uh, you mentioned Andrew McFadden before. I mean, there's some really good people there now. So um, I hope that it's Sean's decision. And uh, it's it's a hard, the problem with rugby league is it's a hard decision to make because he's going really well now in April. It's just hard to know how you're going to feel in October and how you're going to feel going through another preseason. You know, it's different to say football and some other sports because it's such a brutally physical sport. Um, but yeah, the way he's playing, I mean, he's sort of he's sort of defying his age, isn't he? So, um, and as you say, if he didn't continue next year, the Warriors' spine. I mean, they got they got three good players there, but the Warriors' spine would would look quite different. You know, I mean, this is the best way to answer the question. All right, if if Sean Johnson um, isn't around in the next few weeks, how, how are fans going to be feeling? They're going to be a bit worried, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's the reality. There's no obvious seven to take over, even you know next year. Even though they've got a few halves in the mix, They're, none of them you think is a sort of NRL uh, sort of top shelf or you know top half of the competition seven um, by any stretch. I think which and you know at the moment we've got a top five halfback. Um, the way he's playing so but yeah as you say it, um, it's a long time away the start of next season and um, I guess it, it might just be the fact that it starts becoming a distraction um, you know externally that it that sort of forces uh, the hand a little bit of the club or Sean or, or whatever but um, I certainly hope he goes around again I'm certainly not feeling like this is uh, the farewell tour that's for sure well, the, the, you know, he's put himself in a great negotiating position, hasn't he? You know, because he's, he's come to the table with a few chips, hasn't he? You know, yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you'd think, you know, as we discussed before, his career has been tough in many ways because it hasn't quite panned out how he would have wanted and how a lot of people thought it might in terms of um, success at club level. Um, so there must be a temptation to see, well, gee, you know, being part of this, why would I want to step away from it? 
you know, uh, there, there must be that temptation there. Um, because one of the other big benefits that he brings at the moment that we sort of forget is he's so experienced, you know? Yeah. So he's been there, done that. He's played a lot of games now. And a confident Sean Johnson, who's played so many games, uh, just brings so much because his ability to to read the play and manage games, it, it's just something that you can't buy, you know? And you mentioned the, the guys that have got Ronald Vogtman has got some potential, but he's a kid. Luke Metcalf is, is more of a 5'8". He also he hasn't played many games. And Tamare's a different kind of player. So, yeah, Sean is, you know, far and away um, the best um, the best playmaker, the best game-breaker. And he's back kicking goals as well, isn't he? He's kicking well, uh, considering I don't think he would have kicked last year about uh, yeah, goals or something. I think Reese Walsh yeah. is doing almost all the kicking. So even that, he seems to... That's it's another thing on his shoulders as well as being the main playmaker, kicking general play, yeah. all those things. And he's he's um, handling it pretty well so far, that side of it. Yeah, for, and for the club, it's I don't even though he is uh, getting him cheap as chips at the moment uh, from all reports, but he's um, there's not really salary cap pressure on the club. There's not really many guys coming off contracts that are at least going to be due for an upgrade or a significant one besides um, Sean. And, you know, it doesn't feel like we need to go on a big buying spree or shore up too many areas. And then we've got the uh, lodge money coming back into the to salary cap next year. So <laughs> it's a, it's a probably a quite a good position for the club and for Sean, I think, because, um, you know, there's not a squeeze on um, in any area that I can sort of tell. It's not sort of my area of expertise, but it doesn't seem like there's you know, tough calls to be made on other players if we were to keep Sean or that sort of thing. Well, because, yeah, there's only, I think, three players coming off contract. And um, I assume, I don't know, I have to ask him probably in the next few weeks, but I assume he'd just be looking at a a one-year deal. He might do it year yep. by year, I assume, you know. So you're, you're exactly right. Um, and the other thing about Sean that people have got to remember, um, even though he's been around so long, he's still the guy that sells tickets. You know, he's yeah. still the guy that that the sponsors love. He's still the guy. I mean, there's a lot of other guys that the sponsors love and the fans love, but he's still the guy that drags people um, through the turnstile. Was still the guy that sells jerseys. So it's got to be another factor for the club. I would have thought. Yeah, and I, I think well, you probably have uh, a better better gauge on this than me. But on the few years that he was um, away from the club. I'm sure that they missed not having him at the club as sort of, you know, the sort of media magnet that was quite happy to take on a lot of those responsibilities and did it so well, far better than anyone else. Um, you know, probably wasn't Rogers or Torhu's uh, natural sort of role. And um, and I think he was probably missed in that department. Not that you'd keep someone just for that, but it was uh, maybe an area that that was overlooked. Yeah, he's a good. Um, that, that's the other thing I think well, I find it hard all the criticism because he's he's such a good ambassador, you know, um, in that way, both uh, with the media, but also kind of you know, behind the scenes with those club those club things or those fan things. He is um, very well spoken, very genuine because he's basically in the end he's just a kid from from um, you know, I guess North Shore of Auckland who. Um, who, who loves the club. Yeah. Um, so that that counts for a lot. You can't buy that sort of thing. And and you're exactly the other thing is, you know, when he wasn't here and 
in um, 19 and 20 and 21. They tried a lot of halves and, and nothing really worked, you know. <laughs> so yeah. it was probably a reminder uh, there of how hard that, uh, that jigsaw puzzle is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, looking ahead, I mean, I, I think we're all cautiously optimistic now and we can we can all sort of even start openly talking about playing finals. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're five and two. Don't say it, Will, don't say it. <laughs> we're five and two. Um, we've only been at this stage, I think, well, if we were to win this weekend, that would equal our best ever record um, after six rounds. Um, 2002, three, and 18, we uh, got six and two in all three seasons, and obviously those were fairly successful ones. Um, yeah, like obviously not getting there now would be a disappointment. Um, do you, and one of my sort of reservations, I guess, is uh, the way they've been winning. Can you maintain that over 24 games? Uh, each win is just so hard earned um, that you know that they're not kind of the, the type of team anymore that that blows teams away. Maybe they can develop into that as they get better and better. Um, but you just love to see them sort of win a game by twenty or thirty points and just cruise a bit. Um, it does seem like every win does take it out of them. And you know maybe it's, it's uh, exacerbated by having lots of injuries, but it seems like you know they just have to uh, really put their body on the line and give it a thousand percent every time to to come away with those wins. And and does that become too hard to maintain across the the length of the season? Yeah, that that is the issue, isn't it? Because um, even those Matthew Elliott teams, the Andrew McFadden team in fourteen, they could blow teams away, you know, and they had the the 50 to 10 wins or the 42, 16 or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, but they were just, especially Elliot's teams are just so um, inconsistent. Uh, but yeah, that is, it is a concern. These sort of, uh, you know, every win has been really tight apart from the, the Townsville one. Um, and for example, you know, the Newcastle game, I, I was always feeling pretty nervous about that because I thought, well, what have they got left after Canella? You know, it's yeah. taken so much out of them, and and that's the that's the issue with the NRL. You just generally you can't back up those supreme efforts, even the really experienced heavyweight teams, because it's just such a such a brutal sport. Especially these new rules, which are ridiculous. You know, it's probably it's a topic for another podcast. But the way they're using the six agains is, you know, a repeat set used to be something you earn, and yeah. now it's just something that that the ref just sort of just feels like it, and you don't know what what it's for and what's happening. Um, so, yeah, the game's getting more and more relentless. I mean, to your point, you would hope, and I think they will get slightly better, obviously more cohesive attacking-wise, um, because they're still getting to know each other. Um, I guess the big concern I've got about this team is injuries, because if they get injuries in certain areas, it can change the dynamic of the team a lot. So, you know, the Wade Egan injury at the moment, that's obviously one. Uh, Torhu, when he's out, is an issue. Sean, if he gets injured. There's just a few areas where um, they're a bit light uh, underneath the top guys. Um, so, but the good side is, you know, if their, their run home is quite good. Their run home, they've got, they've got quite a few games at Mount Smart. So if they can maintain more or less where they, where they are or win, you know, win um, 
an average of I think like in 2018 from memory they had that they won the five in a row to start the season and then from then on they basically went 50 yeah, percent yeah they were sort of winning one every two but that was enough that was enough to to get them into the finals and get them in there in a really good yeah. position but you don't want to arrive in September and be absolutely you know absolutely rooted and, and got yeah. nothing left so it'd be a good challenge for for Webster because they do play a very physically intense style um but I think the time will come I think the time will come where they might you know they might get some more comfortable <laughs> victories get more comfortable for for journalists and fans and the coach and players and everyone um and, and because um the best thing about these victories even though they have been close um is that it's just becoming a habit you know mm. and um whereas in previous seasons the habit was losing the close ones so um pretty heartening but i agree it's an area of of concern because they they do lack a bit of a bit of uh flair and stuff obviously a bit of heavy artillery when it comes to to point scoring yeah yeah for sure um you mentioned the good run home that's Probably another area. There's just so many things to wrap them about that. Yeah, this kind of gets uh, pushed into the background. But what they've done with the draw they've had, they've only played two of these seven games at Mount Smart. Um, you know, one one game they had to take to Wellington and the rest in Australia. And um, you know, so to, to put a five-two record uh, on the table already is is pretty impressive. It doesn't get any easier going to Melbourne. Or Anzac Day, then five day turnaround into a home game against the Roosters, but then Brisbane for Magic Round on a six day turnaround, then another six day to Sydney um, to play the Bulldogs. So it's very, very tough. Then they have a bye. I think it'll be much needed by that stage. Um, you know, if we somehow jag two couple of wins out of this um, this this block of four heading into the bye, I think it would be a massive achievement and really set them up um, for. For the rest of the year um but yeah this is definitely a, a tough little um tough little period coming up over the next few weeks or three weeks um particularly that has been the bonus you summed it up perfectly the fact they played seven games they've already been to townsville which is normally a hell of a trip they've already been to Cronulla. they've got the newcastle out of the way not a nice place to play at all uh they've got the scg game out of the way which no one likes playing at the scg against the roosters you know and they've they've got the wellington uh, game out of the way, which isn't traditionally, yeah, a bit of a bogey either. So they've still got seven games at Mount Smart, uh, and then of course uh, Napier, Hamilton. So yeah, if they can bank most of those Mount Smart games and then get some on the road, it, as you say, it won't be easy though. Even the Bulldogs, like the, the list of games you mentioned, then they've got the bye, then I think they've got the Broncos and Napier. You know, <laughs> even the Bulldogs away, that's going to be. By that stage, the Bulldogs will be pretty desperate. They're, they're, they're still a decent team. I mean, geez, they beat the Storm in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, but you feel like once they get through this, this this section up to that bye and even after the Broncos game, um, that's sort of half the season. The second half of the season, from memory, um, just looks a little bit kinder. Uh, they've got two games at home, finally, towards the end of the season, for example. Um, and so by then, if they've still got troops on deck and they've got this momentum then um yeah they should they should be able to uh, sail into the playoffs um which will be which will be fantastic because it's something you know i think no one 
no one expected. I didn't see any pundits, did you? I didn't see anyone tipping them to make the playoffs at the um, at the start of the season. No, I'm plenty to make for them to get the spoon, which isn't unusual, particularly in the last few <laughs> years. But um, yeah, uh, certainly not going to get the spoon. Um, and yeah, great chance for the finals. I think, you know, in, in terms of betting, they're um, the bookmakers have them to make the finals now. They're on the, that you know those top eight in the top eight market. So oh, okay. Um, which you know, given some of the teams that that are, you know, just sitting outside that eight at the moment, Roosters, Parramatta at the moment. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough run home. Uh, just hopefully, we're not one of the ones that that fall out. But again, this you know we're looking for reasons why things might sort of even out a bit um, for this team. But they are, you know, that they are something out of the box, something we've probably never parts of what we've never seen from a Warriors team. I was uh, looking at an article by the Rugby League Eye Test, which does uh, a website a dude that does some amazing analysis. And uh, this year they've. So they've trailed for 60.9% of their games, only led for 32%. Uh, both of those are the um, highest and, and lowest in the NRL outside of the Tigers, who are obviously going terrible. Wow. Uh, that, that shows something about sort of their resilience and composure to ride out those parts of games, um, not panic, and come back and win them. Um, you know, the, I think the Knights game is the only game that we've conceded a try in the last 20 minutes of a game, which is pretty incredible okay. for a, for a Warriors team in particular, but for any team to you know to, to keep your try line intact for six of seven games for that last quarter when you know everyone's gassed and mistakes are happening and you know the pressure's on um, is quite remarkable. So you know that the, they have tapped into something that you know no other Warriors team. Has I think, yeah. Well, I mean, 2018 is the is the obvious reference most people are going to be making. And um, <laughs> if you think about that team, probably had um, probably probably shades that this team in terms of the backline, I guess, with Roger and uh, Fuss and Mamalo and Peter Hicker at his peak and Blake Green and Sean probably shades them at the moment anyway. Um, but the Fords, I think the Fords are the difference. I think this Ford pack is uh, when they've got all their troops on. I just love the the variety and the blend and the different kind of players that they've got. I think that 2018, of course, we had um, uh, Papalihi, we had Simon Mannering at Torhu. There's some good players there, don't get me wrong, Isaac Luke. But I think this team, that Ford pack, when they get rolling and then they have the, the impact off the bench, that has got... That is just uh, as we've seen. It's so hard to stop, um, yeah. and they're just the the role they've got. Torhu Harris playing is sort of like a, that extra playmaker. Um, yeah, there's some some really good signs to, but but that stat is quite remarkable. The stat you just pointed out, and that's the sort of thing that you just can't buy that stuff. I mean, you can talk about being resilient, you can talk about being tough, you can talk about you know. Defending your line, having pride in the jersey, all that stuff. Uh, but they've already got it, and they've got it in where are we? Sort of uh, mid mid April. Mm. That's sort of the the miracle for me is they've already got it now, and they're a new team. So uh, it's pretty exciting to think where they could be in that area in a few months when they've got more training sessions together and more time together. And yeah, it's uh, I don't want to get carried away <laughs> because there are a lot of 
forks in the road and these three games coming up are quite scary. But um, there's certainly a lot to like, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And before I let you go, I've got to look ahead to the Storm game. I think it's uh, most Warriors fans' most anticipated game on the calendar, certainly in terms of away games. Uh, but it's, it's come to mean quite a lot to to Warriors fans, I think, you know, just being Anzac Day for one thing. And then because it's produced so many memorable encounters, uh, this game against the Storm, we're probably in a position now where we feel like we can topple them. Storm not going as uh, as well as Storm teams of, the, you know, probably the last decade and a half uh, when we've played this, this fixture. Uh, we've lost 13 straight to them, though. We haven't beaten them on Anzac Day since uh, 2014 or at all since 2015. Um, yeah, how are you seeing this one shape up? I know we're getting uh, Marata back, but no Wade Egan, which was a bit of a surprise given what we were uh, told yesterday. Well, Webster, I think maybe in a radio interview said, um, so it's obviously a big out. Wade's such a big part of of this team performing at its highest level. Um, but yeah, do you sort of feel now that this is a team that can, can beat them? It sort of seems like when we've felt like that, we've got absolutely pasted and when we've gone there thinking we're going to get a hiding, we've actually run them really close in this sort of losing streak. Yeah. Like that game where we, um, what was it? We lost by one point with that terrible, yeah. terrible decision at the end. Yeah, I think so they robbed. Um, and that's, yeah, Probably, I think. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't completely agree. I, I love the occasion, this game. But I've I've started to hate the sexual match in terms of once it unfolds because uh, there's been so many yeah. similar patterns where the Warriors might start well and then they fall away. And uh, Melbourne, as much as we admire them, you know they are the masters of the dark arts, and yeah. I love all their players, the Queenslanders, the Kiwis, but um, uh, they just they just get away with so much, especially it seems against the the Warriors, and they're generally too smart for us. So. Um, yeah, it's a bit scary, this one, because Melbourne, of course, um, haven't gone that well this season. They're coming off a loss. So, you know, that normally means they, they bounce back pretty well. But what gives you hope is uh, is the way this team, what they've done this year, but also the way they've managed to prepare for games. And so I think the coaches will take all that into account. Normally, it's the occasion that seems to get the better of the players. You know, you talk to the yeah. players afterwards and they... Um, the Melbourne players certainly handle it much better. Um, all the all the ceremony, it's a late kickoff. Um, uh, the, you're on you're on nationwide TV in Australia. It's a big, big deal. The Anzac Day factor. So, yeah, it's a it's a lot to handle. Um, of course, it's the same old story. You just hope the Warriors, uh, you know, have a good good first thirty minutes, build on that, and go from there. But yeah, there's no reason why they can't really test the storm um, because of the way they've been playing. I mean, Wade Egan, it's actually, to me, it's actually quite good in a way that he's missing this game because I think he actually needs an extended break. So I, I'm in one way kind of happy that he gets a full, what will it be, two and a half weeks off and hopefully comes back fully revitalised because he is so important and he plays such a such a physical style. But yeah, the storm, they're masters, so they'll target the dummy half area uh, they've also, of course, got all that that pace out wide, but they, you know, I think they're missing the Bromwich brothers. They really are. They're missing Confuci. Mm. They're missing, uh, perhaps, missing a bit of Brandon Smith. Some, or I'm sure they're missing Brandon Smith. So, yeah, it's um, 
it's been an interesting season for the Storm. And um, gee, if the Warriors can catch them, catch them cold or, or, or get them, um, imagine the imagine the boost. But I think Andrew Webster will just want another good performance. You know, if he can see because basically every, every game that as you I think you mentioned before. Every game this season, they basically perform. Even the Roosters game, they perform pretty well. So if they maintain that, and then the result, yeah, the result is the result. But if they maintain uh, the level of performance, that's what they want. They got to maintain the performances, and then the results look after themselves. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I think we would desperately love to see them uh, cancel out that hoodoo after you know it has been a long time now. It's long gone of the days that we were their bogey team. Um, yeah, even bogey, but. Yeah. Uh, it'd be great to get a win over them, especially on Anzac Day. Um, I, they're certainly not the team that beat us seventy to ten, and we're a long way away from being the team that uh, that lost seventy to ten to them. You know, you almost feel really good about Ed Cossey going there to exercise some demons. Um, true, true. You know, there's no way I thought I'd be saying that later <laughs> on after it happened. We're fairly um, harsh on on Big Ed, but he's he sort of. He epitomizes a lot about you know how how amazing this turnaround has been under under Webster. Guys like him that and Pompey who they don't have a perfect game, but they, they it doesn't unravel when a couple of bad things happen, which I think is is really crucial. And you know that that does epitomize the team as well when you know they're going to go through bad periods of games, but they uh, unbelievable at bouncing back from them. So yeah, really pumped for uh, for Tuesday. Can't wait. Well, it's just it's been noticeable on your pod on this podcast the sort of um, you know the rising levels of excitement I've noticed from you and and Fonzie and Brad. Like um, after round one, there was sort of some cautious excitement, cautious optimism, and um, and then it seemed to explode after Townsville, and it's just sort of gone on from there. So it's sort of and you guys probably reflect the fan base and and how they're feeling and. Um, the next three weeks are the big test. And, and so, you know, they might drop a couple of games, but I think they're still heading in the right direction. I can't see um, a massive downturn coming. I could just see, you know, that they'll, they should be able to maintain a level close to this. Uh, I, I don't, I slightly disagree. I don't think that yet, you know, you can bank on the finals because um, there's quite a few teams that, will come back into the mix and there's still a lot of good teams. There's probably less less weak teams than there were in the last two seasons. So uh it's still gonna be still gonna be tricky, but they've got a fantastic platform, haven't they? Yeah. I mean you can only do as much as they've done so far really to put yourself in a position for it. So um yeah you don't have to start getting your calculators out <laughs> which is uh, always good. Um <sighs> Yeah, and that's um, yeah, it's just so different to what you know. Twenty eighteen is the obvious, uh, obvious sort of exception to the last um, twelve seasons or so. But um, yeah, it's, it's great. You can just uh, lap it up while it's happening. Um, but before we let you go, I might just want to shout a few. We've had four new Patreon uh, subscribers come on, which is unbelievable, and we're just humbled by um, how many people have jumped on board recently and. Um, Dom OMC, Adam Ring, Zach Webb, and Tristan Ritchie. Um, awesome to have you guys on board. Really appreciate um, your support and um, and everyone that 
that gets behind the podcast and the website. So, uh, yeah, it's a massive um, thanks to you all. Uh, Mike, and a huge thank you to you, mate. Um, always good to have you on the pod. Um, it's probably been my favourite one, though, because there's just so much um, positive stuff to talk about. I'm happy for you as, as someone that <laughs> in the game and that has been through some very trying times where, you know, uh, trudging into the to the office <laughs> probably isn't, hasn't always been as enjoyable as it is now um, when you're on losing streaks and that sort of thing and talking to people that are interviewing people that are having a terrible time of it but um, yeah really uh, stoked for you mate and the great work that you do the Herald has been obviously first class uh, win lose or draw for the Warriors but um, yeah if, if you're not checking out Mike's work um, every week definitely get on to the Herald because um, yeah that's where you'll find all the good stuff but um, yeah again thanks mate for giving me so much of your time. It is funny mate trudging into the office as you say because I'm still getting the same question I got last year or the year before or all those other years because it's you know I used to walk in uh, after a sort of you know terrible defeat, or they they blew it after being ahead, and it'd be oh, Burgess, what about those Warriors, eh? <laughs> now it's the same question. It's oh, geez, Mike, what about those Warriors? <laughs> so it's, the, it's exactly the same question, but of course the uh, the meaning and the tone are so different. And um, as I think you mentioned in one of your podcasts, something about I remember you saying, or Fonzie, one of you said that. Um, you know, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon and everyone's welcome. And it's kind of that that feeling, you know, everyone is welcome. And um, I think that is uh, what's starting to happening, which is which is wonderful because I think the special thing about the Warriors is that they can do this, you know, they can actually, um, they're a real touchstone and they can just bring, I don't know if it's the country, but they bring a lot of the sports community alive when they start going well. And in, in a much bigger way, I'd say, than, you know, the Blues or the Hurricanes or the Chiefs or the Crusaders because they're, they're so regional. Yeah. Uh, but when the Warriors get going, um, there's a real spark, you know, and suddenly, yeah. suddenly I everyone... I think there's, there's almost a magic to it that even the All Blacks, when, you know, things are going great for them, doesn't have because they're so dominant, you know. There just is such this... There's an element of surprise, um, of you know, just this fairy tale kind of thing. It's unexpected, I suppose. Um, whereas you know, the All Blacks are expected to win. They're in a bit of a, a tough spot there from that that perspective. But yeah, I, I just love this time. But you know, we haven't had a lot of it. But there's been patches that 2013 um, mid-season run under Elliot that I always go on about, and no one else even seems to remember. Uh, <laughs> Sean Johnson, the the six weeks before he uh, snapped his his leg, um, was was a you know one of those times, and obviously 2018 was uh, was was pretty awesome. But yeah, and this is you know one of those rare times, and we can you know since 2011 get. Um, pumped about them and and everyone you know people that don't usually talk about them are and you see them more in the news you see them you know across all sorts of platforms and, and people come back on board and getting excited about them and yeah it's it's awesome it's what it's all about and it just compound it just compounds because um you know the the crowd was exceptional on the saturday and they helped get the team home you know and then There'll be another big crowd for the Roosters game and the Napier game. Um, and that 
you know, that's such a lift that's worth, who knows, six points, eight points. So it just, um, it just spirals upwards in a good way. And so, um, you know, long, long may it continue um, because it's certainly a pleasure to cover them and a pleasure for you guys on the pod and, and all the, I, I just, to be honest, I just think of the fans and what they've been through the last few years, especially those loyal fans that just keep on watching, keep on, and they've been tested to the limit. And I just think the fans out there, they must be, you know, they must be doing cartwheels. They must be walking around with such massive smiles on their face, still in a bit of disbelief, um, but so proud of what this team's done already and so excited about what's to come. I think that's a great way to leave it, mate. Um, but yeah, thank you again. And hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, catching up with you in a week leading up to a prelim or something, mate. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, talking finals. That's right. No, it's, been, it's been a pleasure, Will. And um, unlike everyone else, I do remember that five-game run against uh, under Matthew Elliott uh, because I'm pretty sure it should have been six in a row. I'm pretty sure they lost to the Broncos in a very frustrating game uh, that should have been number number six. So, um, yes, that was a, a special moment, that five in a row. But this team, I think, will uh, have a lot more special moments to come.